back. That's right. You know that sound. This is the Keith Battle Podcast. Welcome. What's up, family? I'm your host, Keith Battle, and it's a joy and a privilege to connect with you again this week. Today, I am super excited to have on our podcast, Mr. Jeff Hoffman. Jeff Hoffman was one of the co-founders and the CEO of Priceline.com. He's a Grammy, Grammy-winning Grammy record producer, a serial entrepreneur. In fact, he's been inducted into the Entrepreneur's Hall of Fame. He's a published author, a worldwide motivational speaker, and a Hollywood producer. He serves on the boards of companies all over the world and soon to be, if not already, an NFL owner. Oh, and by the way, he's also a billionaire. Jeff, thank you so much for carving out time out of your schedule to share your wisdom and experience with us today. Thank you very much for having me here. It's an interesting time to be having this discussion. Oh, for sure. For sure. Speaking of which, how are you doing? How are you managing health-wise with this coronavirus pandemic? What's, how are you coming along? Been all good, uh, thank God. So uh, nobody has really been affected in our family, which we've been very, very happy for. But obviously, it's affecting so many people all over the world. But we've been good here. How about you? Hey, it's an adjustment, to say the least. It's really an adjustment. But um, I'm grateful. It's it's uh, everybody's okay in my home. Uh, you know, it, it, it has hit close. There've been some friends who've tested positive, but overall, I'm really grateful for, as you said, thank God for his protection in all of this. Absolutely. And I'm sorry to hear that it affected you at all. Yeah. So, Jeff, let's start pretty early. There's a, I, you know, I, I watch your podcast, not your podcast, I watch YouTube videos on you. So I'm a Jeff Hoffman student. I'm a fan. <laughs> Pretty early in your journey towards success, you ran into a huge obstacle. You were on the verge of being put out of Yale University, and that and that ended up being a defining moment for you. Can you tell us about that experience, Jeff, and what you learned from it? Okay, that absolutely was a defining moment um, <laughs> because I <laughs> set an early goal that I believed. Uh, I didn't grow up bad. I just grew up with a single mom in a little town that no one ever left, and I didn't want to be stuck there. Um, And I wanted the chance to, I had big dreams and big plans that I wanted to pursue. And I understood that, you know, we were broke. So the only way that was going to happen was education. Education was the way out and the way up. So I set really big educational goals. And there was a program I wanted to study, which is funny now, Uh, Because it was this new thing back then called artificial intelligence that no one had ever heard of. And I was like, that's cool. I want to figure out what that is. And so there are only a couple of universities in the whole country at that time that had it. Um, One was MIT, which was too technical for me, but one was Yale. And so I decided I wanted to go to Yale. However, you know, that was a huge goal. That was for private school kids on the East Coast, not some public school kid on the West Coast with no money. Uh, I understood the requirements and I worked really hard to get in and I actually got accepted and I went there. So here's my big dream, the launch of my educational career. I got into Yale, I get all the way there. And on the first day, they tell me I can't go to class because I don't have any money and I haven't paid the full tuition. And uh, your dream is just shattered. 
and I went to the uh, financial aid office. And, you know, they said, we've given you all the scholarships and aid we can give you. And you still have a gap. You haven't paid it. You haven't paid your part. So you can't go here. No, I'm not upset about them. That's that's reality. You got to pay to go to college. Um, but I didn't want to go home. Uh, and, you know, I remember telling the guy, he's like, why are you still in my office? I said, because I'm so broke. I can't even take a bus. Where am I going to go? And he said, well, you're not going to go here. And I was sitting there and there was a brochure on his desk. And I'm telling you the story because it's more about determination, right? When the whole world's against you, the easy thing to do is just quit. And he said, go home. And by the way, when I contacted my parents, my friends, everybody said, just come home. You can go to the state university, the community college, wherever for free. And everybody's answer was just go home. And I'm thinking, man, if you're 18 years old and the first big obstacle you fought, find in your life, everybody's advice is just quit. That's not a very good start for life. So I decided I wasn't going to quit. The guy had a uh, brochure in his desk that was about the payment program. I was like, what's that? And he says, none of your business. And I said, just tell me what it is. He said, it's a payment program. I said, how does it work? He said, it's for people that have money. I said, how does it work? He said, we take the amount of tuition that you owe and we divide it into monthly payments. And I said, put me on that. He said, Jeff, you're broke. And I said, I am broke, but now I have 29 more days to come up with money. Um, and he kind of laughed at me and I couldn't go to class. So I started my first uh, company, a little software company on campus the next day. And I was able to fund my entire Yale education myself uh, by selling software, by starting a company. I love it. I love it. I, I always say crisis breeds creativity. And that's, that's a perfect example of that in your life. I love that story. Well, you're right, because if you have no faith, <laughs> right, you're just going to quit. Yeah, for you sure. You've got to believe in something. you got to have faith in something for, for you to get up and say, I still believe. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Jeff, one of the timeless lessons that you teach to aspiring entrepreneurs is the importance of solving real problems. Can you explain uh, why that's so important in our business if we really want to succeed? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that as well, because so many people, here's what I see all the time. I deal with startups and entrepreneurs all over the world now. And what I see most of the time is that they've got, a, uh, they've, they have this thing. Hey, Jeff, look, I made this thing. And I'm like, who's going to buy that? And their answer always is, well, we'll see. Right? We're going to put it out there in the world, advertise our idea and hope someone buys it. That's one way to do it. And so frequently what that creates is a solution in search of a problem. You created a solution to something, but nobody was having that problem. No one was looking for one of those. <clears throat> Here is the flip side. I started studying the world's most successful entrepreneurs. And probably the main thing that I noticed was that they were people that were in the middle of a real problem that everybody was complaining about. And while everybody else complains, the, the successful person is the one that says, you know what, I'm not going home till this one's fixed. So it happens to us every day. You run an errand at lunch, it takes you hours to run it and you get back late. People said, how was your day? And you say, horrible, those idiots made me stand in line for two and a half hours. All we do is complain, but nobody fixes it, nobody owns it. So next time you're in the middle of a real problem, I, I, for example, I have a friend named Lars uh, who got sick of getting lost. And instead of saying, 
complaining and getting lost again next time, he said, you know what, I'm not doing this again. And he started thinking about ways to solve the paper maps problem. And he started thinking about technology and, and cable television satellites in the sky could probably see me, he was thinking. And if there's three of them, they can figure out mathematically where I am. And if they know where I am, they can tell me where to go. And so he's the guy that created Google Maps, not Google. He sold that, they sold that company to Google and you know it as Google Maps now for like a billion dollars or something. Um, so that is the lesson is next time you hear yourself complaining, I think, you know, my very first company happened to be that way because I was uh, standing in an airport way back when and I missed a flight. And I was so upset that it took so long to check into a flight, an hour I was in line, that I missed the flight. And so instead of going home and creating something I was hoping the world would buy from me, I said, you know what, I'm fixing this problem that everybody has. The airport was filled with irritated people. And I was like, I got this one. Um, and I was asking people in the airport, how annoying is this? Right? You're missing flights. Everybody was upset. And I was like, would you pay for to skip this line? And people were like, yes, get me out of line. And I was like, I think I got something here. So I solved a real problem that I was standing in and, you know, went home and created a startup uh, designing the, the check-in kiosks that are in airports all over today. But it was solving a real problem while I was in the problem instead of sitting at home, coming up with an idea and hoping people like it. I love it. I love it. I love it. We're joined today on the Key Battle podcast with billionaire entrepreneur and author Jeff Hoffman. So, Jeff, I've heard you speak several times again at the Quantum Leap Masterminds hosted by Hal Elrod and John Berghoff there in the Cleveland, Ohio area. People that I absolutely love. Yeah, man, those are great guys. And I course, I've listened to you on, on YouTube as well. And I, I just like to scroll through some of your big rock principles that you teach. And, and one of those principles slash lessons is win a gold medal at one thing. Can you unpack that for us? <laughs> yep. You are, you are definitely on top of this today, my friend. <laughs> um, a lot of times when I'm talking to small business owners, entrepreneurs, they got three or four things going. Man, I got four side hustles or whatever. And, and they think that that's increasing their odds of winning. If you're working on, I got four business ideas and four things I'm doing. And usually what I tell people is throw away three of them. And they think, like I said, that they're increasing their odds of success by uh, working on three or four things at once. But what I did was I started to study people. And by the way, you're more than welcome to do that. So, and, and you can run, you can live nice. You can live very well. But the question I get asked, people say is, you know, we were blessed enough to be part of, uh, I was part of several multiple companies that became multi-billion dollar companies. And so people said, how do you grow a company from little to big? They said, now, if that's your goal, to grow something really huge, then it takes unbelievable focus. You have to have the discipline to tune out the whole rest of the world while you're building this one thing. So I started looking at the people that got big and looking for common elements, and this was one of them. They picked one thing to be the best at, to win a gold medal in. By the way, I use that expression uh, because if you think about what it takes to win a gold medal, let's say Michael Phelps, the swimmer. Mm -hmm. There's no Olympic medalist who won gold in swimming, gold in volleyball, and gold in basketball, right? <laughs> um, right. Uh, it's so hard to win a gold medal at anything, and it takes years of dedication and practice. 
That's why you don't see people able to win it in multiple things typically. So business is the same. Life is the same. If you want to excel at something, you got to put all your focus on that. And here's some quick examples people always forget. For seven years, Jeff Bezos, they only sold books at Amazon. He had the discipline to say, I want to be the best darn bookseller on the planet before I sell anything else. Today, Amazon sells a lot. They got that way because you and I loved doing business with them. We loved doing business with them because they were the best, even though it was only books. Another example is uh, Tony Shea. His company is Zappos. At the beginning, all they sold were shoes. So, you know, today, Priceline, which is also booking.com, this company, uh, the company, 95 or something like that percent of its revenue worldwide is one product, hotel rooms. It's the world's largest seller of hotel rooms. They don't sell luggage. They don't sell travel insurance, right? Mm -hmm. It's win and go to find something. You want to be the best darn something in the world. So find something that you can be the best at and put all your focus into that and drop everything else. I'm not telling you you can't do those things. You just do them one at a time. When people ask me, they say, well, Jeff, you know, you did a, uh, you've done a lot of different companies from the films, the music to the tech stuff. And I always have to tell them, but not at the same time. That's the difference. Do one thing at a time, win a gold medal at it, and then go on to the next. I love it. I love it. And it's, it's, it's so hard. It's so tempting to hedge your bets, right? Like it is. have have this over here, multiple streams. And, but like you said, if you want uber success, if you it requires a, a an immense amount of focus. So thank you for That's that. That's exactly right. Yeah. And another kind of paired with that, Jeff, is another one of your bedrock teachings, which is the whole concept of narrow casting. Uh, from a marketing standpoint, can you can you share with us what you mean by that when you say the that it's important that we narrow cast? Absolutely. Um, the uh, so let, let's sort of explain that concept. Everybody thinks when you're marketing. So we're talking about this as a marketing team. When people are launching their product, their thought. And I frequently ask people this: Who's going to use your product? You know what they always tell me? Everyone. Right. And I always tell them, you don't have the marketing budget for everyone. And it's not true. Everyone is not going to like your product just because you think they're going to. So the problem is when they do their marketing, they broadcast the message. And let me give you an example. Let's say that your product was designed for college students. So you would write an ad, your marketing, whether it's an online, a printed ad, emails, whatever you're doing. Um, you would write an ad and your ad would be focused on uh on college students, it would be written in a way um, that college students would would understand the ad. It's their language, it's their graphics, because that's who you're marketing to. Then somebody says to you, well, you know, housewives could use this, the mom of a college student. So you're like, well, you know what? I better change my advertising a little bit so that moms like it. And then someone says, well, they don't have to be stay-at-home moms. Working people could use it. And then you're like, I better change my advertising so professionals can use it. And all of a sudden, your ad that was a cool, hip college ad now basically says we are people who sell things, right? Because you made it so flat. You cast such a wide net that you don't appeal to anyone anymore. So narrow casting is saying this is not forever. This is at the start. Narrow casting is saying that 
who are the people in your growth, in your early stages, who are the people that are going to absolutely fall in love with your product? Market to all of them. And until you have all of them, right, don't, don't worry about everyone else. Don't worry about housewives and business people. A prime example would be that I can use that example from Priceline because Priceline very early on, uh, college students were great at that because they didn't really care what hotel it was, right? They just want to go. They just want to go home or they want to go to New York City or whatever. They don't have frequent flyer points at a certain hotel or a preference uh, because they're a Marriott, whatever it is. So college kids were more likely to say, hey, man, I only got this much money. If I can get a hotel, I'll go. So the marketing uh, early on, a lot of it was focused to them. Today, there was no marketing focused on business people. No dollars were spent. It was narrow cast to the people that are going to love it. Later on today, business people all over uh, use Priceline or Booking.com to book their hotel rooms. So that's what narrow casting is all about, is focusing on the early adopters and staying with them. I love it. I love it. I love it. This is Jeff Hoffman. We're listening to today. Jeff's uh, serial entrepreneur had incredible success in the world of business, and he has given us his insights today, and we're so grateful. Jeff, you were privileged to spend time with the late Sam Walton founder of Walmart and Sam's Club. What did he teach you that changed the way you interacted with your customers? I mean, so much stuff. Um, uh, but I'll tell you one of the main ones. Um, and the main ones I'll summarize, or the main ones I learned from having the blessing of being able to spend time with Sam Walton uh, was that, uh, and I was asking him questions. You know, he created Walmart, right? The world's largest retail store. And the question I was asking him was, uh, uh, you know, I want to understand some of the keys to success, right? How you created uh, Walmart. And by the way, especially when he started his business, nobody thought it was a good idea. And let me explain that. He wanted to put big stores, big box retail, they call it, in small towns. And everybody said, it's suicidal. It will not work. It's insane. You can't put a big store in a little town. And when I said, Sam, everybody said that was a bad idea. So why did you put Walmarts in little towns? He said, because I didn't listen to the experts. I said, well, who'd you listen to? He said, farmers. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I'm not selling to some guy in Wall Street or the news anchor that's, that's telling us, saying it's a bad idea. I'm selling to the families, the farmers that live across the tracks in a little town. I said, well, how did you know what they wanted? And this is the valuable lesson. He taught me the lesson of spending a day in the life of your customer. And I said, what'd you do? And he said, I would change clothes like every other Friday. And he said, a lot of days I change clothes, you know, into jeans and work boots, whatever it was, went across town where the farmers were to the little cafe they sat in. And he said, I spent time sitting in the little cafe buying apple pie and coffee for farmers and listening to them. So the lesson I learned is, you need to spend time. What I used to do is I used to do it um, like every other Friday. I would take the day off. I would change clothes and I would go hang out wherever my customers were hanging out and spending time with them. If, you're, if your customers are travelers, get out of your office and spend the afternoon in the airport just chatting to people, whatever, as an example. So spending time hanging out where your customers hang out, chatting with them, not selling, just chatting with them to understand how they live how they run their lives and what's important to them. That is the biggest lesson I learned from Sam Walton, the founder of Walmart, 
because he designed a store around the farmer in the small town, not around the big city person that was on the news saying it was a bad idea. And, and Jeff, I'm thinking if we're doing it that way, if we're listening to our customers, they can even tell us which service we provide or which product we provide that is most helpful and most needful to them. Now, we don't have that to watch them. You are right. You nailed that. That is such an important point because instead of you guessing and putting product out there, just what you said is true. Why don't you ask them? And in the conversation, it'll come up. Right. And sometimes we just use metrics for sales. Well, this is selling well. With, but but is it the most valuable thing to our clients? Because maybe we can make the most valuable thing to our clients more available. And it would be, you know, it would have a better economic impact on the company. But this is brilliant advice. Again, we're listening to Grammy Award winning motivational speaker Jeff Hoffman right here on the Keith Battle Podcast. And Jeff, another lesson that you teach business owners and organizational leaders is the importance of building a great team. When you think about that, because everybody essentially knows that's important in theory, like I need a, I need a great team, I need a great team. But are there any specifics or practical things that you recommend to leaders when it comes to team building? Absolutely. Um, and here's the deal. Everybody says, especially when you're a small business and you're still building, when you launch a small company, at the beginning, you have to do everything, right? You don't have a team yet. So you do everything. And let's say it's going well. This is where the danger comes in. When it's going well, what tends to happen is people say, hmm, I'm doing pretty well at this, right? And so because they're doing well, they get sort of fooled into thinking they can handle it. And what I mean by that is you're, when you're a small business owner, you're the marketing person, you're the finance person, right? You're the producer. What if it's a hair salon? Right? You're cutting hair, you're doing Facebook posts, you're counting the money and paying the bills. So all of a sudden, you're the chief financial officer, the chief marketing officer, and the chief stylist. And, and so when it's going well, people early on start to think they must be good at it. So even though they know they're supposed to build a team, they're too busy. I don't have time to go out and find other people. Right, I got customers all day long. But the companies, then they don't understand why they can't grow. So the answer is you're not going to scale until you get out of your own way. And, and that's the first step. And what that means is that you've got to start, you got to go out and start hiring people or finding people to bring in that are smarter than you in every area that is not your expertise. Each of us, the truth is each of us is really only good at one thing. And once people realize that, they stop trying to do everything else. So if you're the stylist, we'll keep our example here. And that's your expertise. Quit trying to be the marketing person. Get a marketing person that can go out and fill up your salon because they're an expert in marketing, right? Your job is to keep them coming back because you're an expert in hair. And then one day, money starts coming in. And instead of trying to figure out how to manage money, even if it's part-time, you should be hiring a part-time bookkeeper or CFO or somebody that manages money, not you. So the people that went out and recognized that they, even though it's your company and you're the founder, you're really only good at one thing. So you got to get out of everybody else's way and you got to trust and empower people. Give other people pieces of your business and stop convincing yourself that the only one that knows how to do it right is you. When you get out of the way, your business will take off. I love it. When you get out of the way, the business will take off. You can't scale if you're in the way. That's, yep, that's exactly right. Jeff, again, 
I've listened to a lot of your talks and I heard you share another concept once that you called the golden purpose. What is the golden purpose? Can you share those three intersections with us, what you call the golden purpose? Sure. So what we always talk about is that uh, all of us, well, let me just tell you, let me just explain what they are, and, and then it'll be a little easier to go back to doing that. Um, there are these three concepts of what you're good at, what skill do you have, what are you good at doing, Right. Then there is what you're passionate about, what you love doing. You might be good at accounting, but you might not love doing it. And then there's a third thing, which is something the world values. Because if the thing you love doing and you're good at, nobody will pay you for, you don't really have a business, right? You just have a hobby. That ain't going to help you. So what we tell people to think of is those three things. is something you're really good at doing something you love doing, and something the world values. I'll just give you an example of of sort of, you know, stuff that I do. Um, And when you can find that the thing you're doing is the intersection of all three of those things, that's your golden purpose. And our definition of golden purpose is that's when you realize you are at the place in the world you are supposed to be doing the thing you're supposed to be doing. So, uh, uh, again, just an example. Uh, Mentoring and teaching, right? It's something I love doing, especially when I'm mentoring youth, but I actually love mentoring and teaching. So it turns out I'm also good at that. I didn't know that early on. Actually, I'm an engineer. So I started out as an engineer and I sucked at it. (laughs) I was told by all the other engineers that I was the worst engineer in the group. Um, But so, you know, I didn't, I was thought I was good at engineering, but I didn't love it. What What I loved was this mentoring and teaching. And then when I started doing it, the world told me, hey, you're good at that. So now I got two of the three things. I love teaching. I'm good at it. And then what I discovered is the stuff we were teaching, which is how to start and grow a business, the world value. People would come to us and say, can we hire you to teach us how to grow our business? So for me, my engineering job, I hated it, right? Because I was not in my golden purpose. I was not in the middle of that triangle. Mm. But when I left engineering and found out that teaching was my skill, my passion, and something the world valued and would hire me to do, that's how I got into my golden purpose. I said, now I'm not supposed to be engineering. I'm supposed to be doing this. That's our definition. I love it. I love it. I love it. This has been awesome. Jeff, outside of your office, you said there's a sign that that you talk about that connects ideas with execution. Uh, you really did your homework, my friend. <laughs> what does that sign say, and how do you desire that message to play out in your company? Yeah, it's a big one for me. And and what it says is, ideas are welcome, but execution is worshipped. And the reason I put that outside my door was because, and it still happens every day in my life, every day somebody's telling me their idea, right? You might be sitting in Starbucks and you're telling your friends, I got this idea. Then you're at the break room or lunch at work at your company. I got this idea. And then you're on the couch on the weekend during a game and it's a commercial and you're having a beer in your hand. It's like, I got this idea. But here is a harsh reality of the world. Everybody's got an idea and no one does anything. Everybody talks and everyone, they're all afraid to get off the couch and try. So the difference between really successful people and you, it turns out they weren't smarter than you. They didn't have advantages that you didn't have. They didn't have money or whatever. They just got off the couch and started building something. 
That's the execution part. So that's why I say ideas are welcome, but execution is worshipped because everybody always tells me what they're going to do. And what I've discovered is the most successful people in the world, again, they weren't smarter than you. They just picked up a shovel and started digging. So many of the things that, that, you know, that I've done in my life that we were blessed enough to have work. I didn't know what I was doing at the beginning. I didn't know it was where it was going. But I said, you know what? I'm just going to jump. Like as an engineer, leaving the technology business and starting a music company, right? I said, you know what? The worst thing in life is not failing. The worst thing in life is spending your whole life not tra- trying and wondering what you could have done. So I said, I'm just going to start building a music company and see what happens. So we always executed. We always just got it done. And that led us to a lot of places that we failed a lot of times too. I don't want to pretend everything works. We failed a lot of times, but if you're never failing, then you're just not trying hard enough. You're not pushing the edge if you never fall down. Mm. That's part of it. So yeah, I'm glad you brought that one up. That's a yeah. that's a very important principle. I, I love that quote. I, I, I'm already telling you, I stole it from you, but I always quote you every time I use it. And because I, because I work in a faith space, one of my vocations is I lead a church of multiple locations. I, I say, okay, you know, ideas are welcome, but execution is worship. And then I have a third part because I have great executors on my team, but sometimes I have to tell them and don't commit an execution while you're executing. Because yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, we got people who are so task driven and get the job done. But they, 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 they maul people in the midst of it all, and people end up injured. But so we want to have. I think that's a great point because you just can't do that, and a lot of people do. Finish, finish, right? And, and that's that's a lot about efficiency too. When you got something in front of you, finish it before you talk about anything else. Before you start something else, just finish it and get it off your plate. Right. And finish it without destroying all the relationships that help you to finish it. Well, you know, that might be a good note for us to close on because nothing is more important than people in relationships. There's no business. And and I will tell you that when I started in business, uh, somebody said to me, you'll never be successful in business. And I said, why? And they said, because you got to be a jerk. And I said, what? And they said, you're not really a jerk. And so you're not going to succeed. And I said, says who? And they said, Jeff, have you ever heard the expression, um, nice guys finish last? And I said, yeah, that is a real expression. <clears throat> and they said, where do you think that came from? You know, nice people finish last came for a reason. And I started thinking a, a moment of self-doubt. Why is that that expression? And they said, because you got to be a real jerk to succeed in business. And I said, you know what? I don't buy it. I said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, do relationships first. In fact, you know, it was written on the wall of, of our company because our values are so important. I wrote humanity first on the wall in giant letters in the office. And I said, as long as you're making the human decision first, you'll never get fired from me. You can make mistakes in business. That's fine. You're human. You make mistakes, but humanity first. Do the right thing for people. And so that's a long-term investment. So what we said was if we focus on the importance of human beings, treated people with dignity and respect, and built lifelong relationships, not short-term cash decisions, we should win. And it turned out, thank God, uh, that we were right, that treating people well was the path to success, uh, not a deterrent from it. Relationships matter more than anything else. I love it. Ladies and gentlemen, 
That is Jeff Hoffman, billionaire entrepreneur and someone who's not only made it in the world of business, but has given his life to helping others find business success so they can live the life of their dreams. Jeff, thanks so much for being with us today. And it's been a, tr- been a real blessing to me. And a special thanks to all of you who listen and support this podcast by sharing the link with others. Let's spread love today and be safe. I love you all. I look forward to being with you again, God willing, right here next time on the Keep Battle Podcast.